Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. I'm pretty excited about... Well, if you've got a copy of our Millionaire Maker Guide, hang on to it because it's, it's, that's it. There's not going to be any more free PDFs handed out. The Millionaire Maker, we're in the process of rewriting it and we're going to actually be publishing it as a standalone book, Six Practical Steps to Your First Four Homes, Secrets from the Backyard Millionaire. So if you've gotten that PDF, we've been doing this for the last couple of years where we've been handing that out, and uh, it's, it's, it's been great fun, and I've enjoyed the feedback, and it's as a result of the feedback that we're making some editorial changes, adding some stories, and uh, it's going to be a great book, so you'll be on the lookout for that, but I, I'm super stoked about that, and I'm going to share uh, a little bit from it and a new story that opens the new book, or what we're calling a guide. It will be, uh, I'll share a little bit of that today, but I want to start out the broadcast by reminding you the Backyard Millionaire Formula, the BYM formula, is leverage multiplied by your efforts will equal gold. And of course, gold is a placeholder for any results you want in life. The gold shovel can take a lot of different forms. It could be a loan, a mortgage, could be that kind of leverage. Obviously, we talk about that quite a bit here on the program. But it could be anything that increases your efforts or multiplies your efforts for greater results without having to work harder. That's the Backyard Millionaire Formula. They say love is more precious than gold It can be bought and it can't be sold I got love enough spare That makes me So what's the use of earnest money? Somebody asked me this the other day, and I thought, you know, it's a great topic to cover under the guise of what to expect when accepting an offer. So what is the use of earnest money? One of the greatest things I've ever heard, Rhonda Johnson, frequent contributor here to the Backyard Millionaire, said that somebody asked her in all sincerity, they said, who is earnest anyway? <laughs> so who gets all this money? Who is earnest? Well, what is earnest money all about? And, and what's it good for? I'm going to break that down. Earnest money is just like it sounds. It's, it's to show that you are earnestly pursuing a contract. You are earnestly putting yourself forward in a purchase and sale agreement. And it's referred to contractually as liquidated damages. Liquidated damages. It's already been, in other words, you don't, nobody has to pursue you. If there are damages claimed against you in a contract, nobody has to sue you to get it. These are monies put onto the table, proffered up in advance of an agreement, in advance of a mutually accepted offer as liquidated damages. Now, earnest money is basically it's a sign of good faith until such time that you have a mutually accepted offer. So remember that. Earnest money doesn't offer you or grant you any sort of priority. There is no priority given because you were the first one to put up earnest money or you put up the most earnest money. That's irrelevant, irrespective of a contract or mutually binding offer or meeting of the minds. None of that's achieved until you have a mutually accepted 
contract fully executed by both parties, buyer and seller. But earnest money is there if you, the buyer, are to be found in default, then those monies shall become the sellers. They're already liquidated. Nobody has to go to court over them again. These are our prescribed monies that are going to go to a buyer, excuse me, in the seller in the event that you, the buyer, are in default. So it may or may not cover actual damages. Like it may not cover what the seller perceives as a real damage to them, themselves, in the marketplace or whatever. It's already been determined though. This is the extent with which the seller can basically come after you or to achieve some sort of satisfaction out of this default that you may have created intentionally or otherwise. These monies are put up up front as liquidated damages. So they're not yours, uh, the seller. They're not your monies right now, no matter what happens here. Obviously not. Nope. They're held in trust by the broker that is at that time representing the buyer. It goes into that buyer's broker's trust account and it shall be flagged and tagged for that transaction and then disseminated to, at closing if there's a transaction that's consummated or handed back to the buyer if the buyer withdraws through a, a mal there's like a, a million contingencies that would allow for that buyer to get their earnest money back if however the buyer is in default as found by the broker holding the earnest money that earnest money can be then transferred to the seller as liquidated damages so I think just a couple of things to take away from this. Again, those monies are just in trust, number one. Number two, they're the buyer's monies until such time there is a mutually accepted offer, in which then now they become potentially liquidated damages. However, they still might revert back to the buyer if the contract isn't consummated all the way through to closing, or they might be reverted over to the seller and converted to seller's monies through the process of finding for default on the buyer's behalf. Here's a word of warning. Any brokerage that is not actually maintaining their own trust account, be a little wary because what happens is they'll have you put the money into an escrow or a trust account at the title company. If this is the case, then if a default is found, then you have to get mutual acceptance by and between buyer and seller for the title company to release those monies. And my view on that is inappropriate. The broker holding the earnest money makes the determination as to who's in receipt of those monies. If there's a case of default, that broker has to make a determination. And if the title company is holding the monies in their trust account on behalf of both parties, they'll not release it until both parties sign off on it. And if there's contention or debate, what are the odds of both parties just going in and signing it so these monies can get hung up and held? So ask up front, is, is your brokerage maintaining a trust account? Now, typically, they're not interest bearing trust accounts. Uh, so there's no interest to account for and so forth. Um, where that could change is if you're in a very large commercial transaction and you have a, a whole host of dollars <laughs> in trust. Like if somebody's putting up a million dollars in a trust account for earnest money, they're going to want to make interest on it. Somebody's going to be having an interest-bearing account and that those monies are going to be accounted for. But in the event of just residential, typical residential sales, typically, customarily, there's not going to be any interest to account for. We're talking about relatively small amounts of money. So earnest money is not creating priority. I think that's the other solid takeaway here. There is some confusion sometimes in that if I put up earnest money, now I'm first in line. No, you may have been first in line, but you have no ranked priority such that the seller is obligated to respond to you first or at all. 
sellers need not reply to you at all. If you write a conforming offer, meaning you've met all the standard, the requests of that seller, meaning price, customary and ordinary terms, and, and requested amount of earnest money and so forth, then there's, there's an obligation. However, if you put up earnest money first, just never mistake that for some sort of priority. The, the seller has the right to determine which offer they'd like to accept and or respond to at all. Memories, keepsakes, and important pieces of your life deserve to be secure, safe, and comfortable. Downtown Mini Storage to the rescue. Hi, I'm Chris Story. Downtown Mini Storage has been keeping my valuables safe, secure, and dry for over 20 years. In fact, I like Downtown Mini Storage so much, I bought the company. Call Downtown Mini Storage at 299-7653 in downtown Homer, Alaska. Move in today and get your first month absolutely free at Downtown Mini Storage on Lake Street, across from SBS and Homer. Where are you going to keep your stuff? Call Downtown Mini Storage today at 299-7653. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Anybody in the Homer Anchor Point area, anywhere on the peninsula, if you are coming to Homer on or about the 2nd or 3rd of December, look for me at the Nutcracker Fair. I will be up in the Commons, booth number 21 is where you'll find me. I'll be uh, selling my books to include The Backyard Millionaire. Born to Live, Finding Purpose on the Road to Hope. Also, the first Jacob Mann story called The Making of Man, When List and Sell Becomes Life and Death, and The Watchman, which is set in Homer, Alaska. And a friend of mine owns the Salty Dog, and <laughs> my character, Jacob Mann, lives in the Salty Dog. He lives in a fictitious apartment above the Salty Dog. And I... I still need to talk to my friend. I, I said, I called him this summer and I said, John, um, I've written a book and I want to give you a copy. And um, anyway, I spell it differently. It's spelled D-O-G, salty D-O-G. But uh, anyway, I still feel I got to get him a copy of the book um, in, in hopes that he loves it and likes it and takes it as the compliment that it is intended to be. Coming up in just a little, and besides of which, how cool is that? I mean, right, Travis McGee lived in a houseboat. Uh, is it Key West or Miami or did, was he in Sarasota? I forget where Travis McGee, uh, John D. McDonald's character, lived in a houseboat in a Floridian Harbor. Hello, how cool is that? Well, my guy, Jacob Mann, realtor extraordinaire, lives above the salty dog overlooking the harbor at the end of the spit. I mean, that's... I'm sorry, that's pretty darn cool. You got to like that. By the way, the books are available. If you can't make it to the Nutcracker Fair or don't want to or don't want to wait, go online, ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash books. Let's talk about the average price of homes from 1940 onward plus your year in review, your year in review, and how to evaluate where you're going to go from here. Plus, we've got quotes from Robert Kiyosaki, and I'll be sharing some new information in our new guide called The Millionaire Maker when we return to The Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. The theme of the show, the motto of the show is you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. And that's the, that's been the motto of this program for 16 years when we started out as a little 30-minute program called Radio Realty. And it still continues today under the guise of backyard millionaire. And you may not want a million bucks. 
you may not want to own and control four homes in your own backyard. It's fine. I just want you to know you could. It's possible. There's a plan. There's a formula that can and will work for you. If I can do it, you can do it. Anybody can do it. I have a PhD in life economics. I am a doctor of philosophy with a peppered past, and you can do it with, I'm sure, a much higher degree of education than I've got. Trust me on that. I want to talk about how to evaluate your year in review, like what happened this year in your life so far, what do you expect to happen between now and the end of the year, and where do you want to go, and who do you see yourself as becoming, or where do you want to vacation, what, what do you want to accomplish, contribute in the next year, 2024. So we'll talk about that in a moment, but first... What did a home cost in 1940? You know, we talk a lot, rightfully so, about inflation. We talk a lot about, again, I, I'm about, I call myself a, a, a lifestyle economist. I'm not a, an economist. I have no real background in economics or any, anything. I'm, I'm just literally school of hard knocks kind of person who's come up in the world uh, through relationships and just dogged determination. And so, of which I speak is just opinion in lifestyle economics is that with which all of us can look at the world, view the world, and then make our own assessment. I, in fact, think that if you've got experience, real world experience, I'm going to put that on the shelf a little bit higher than somebody who just has um, a college degree. And that's not to denigrate college, of course not. But I think real world experience, with or without some sort of higher form of indoctrinated education is the most valuable thing you can contribute to the world is thoughtful deliberation, thinking about how you view the world first, then talking about it, discussing, debating. I, I love the art of debate, except when somebody enters that debate to simply slaughter the other person. I feel like that's be, it's just not, it's not an attractive form of debate to me. And I'm prefacing and, and kind of expand, expanding on this just a little bit preemptively because I want to talk about some economic things here as just a, just a regular person in the world. And I do like to say, you know, I have a doctor of philosophy, you know, uh, with a peppered past because, you know, I've, I've had some failures, I've had some successes, I've had some wins and losses, and it's all added up to an incredible life that I wouldn't go back and change anything. Well, okay. If I could go back in time and change a couple of things, one would be to hold on to a property that I sold <laughs> that would be, and then invest in like 22 more. That, that's okay. Those are a couple of things. But let's think about this in the, the eyes of inflation. We know what inflation is. Uh, Ronald Reagan talked about inflation very eloquently as too many printed dollars chasing too few products. It isn't the people to put the price tags on the product are to blame. It's the governmental interference of printing money that has created an inflationary cycle of which everybody becomes a victim. So let's think about this. In 1940, the average price of a home in America was $3,900, $3,900, average price of a home. Average price of a vehicle in 1940 was $850, loaf of bread, eight cents, gallon of milk, 50 cents, gallon of gasoline, 11 cents, a dozen eggs, 24 cents. 1940, that's a different world. There's few people that can actually remember, few people living that can actually remember that year, remember what it was like coming out of the Great Depression just prior to World War II. 
very few among us that will have a recollection or even an, an inkling of what it would look like to buy a home for $3,900 in an era where you might be making $1,200 a year or you know, maybe, maybe $2,000 a year. All right, 1960, fast forward 20 years, average price of a home in 20 years had gone from 3,900 to 12,700. Let me back up a second. The reason I really started thinking about this and did a little research this morning was that a friend told me last night, we were out to dinner with a friend in, and ran into another mutual friend. And he was telling us about a friend of his in California, A, who sold a home his parent, I forget if his father or mother's home, had just passed away at the age of 95 and left them their home. They had purchased it many, many moons prior for $22,000, sold it for $2.7 million. The, the heirs did, $2.7 million. And, and arguably sounds like it was a junker of a home. It just happened to be the right location. Uh, it was uh, junker is probably the wrong word. It just wasn't. It wasn't. You know what you might be thinking about as a two point seven million dollar home. It wasn't that much. Put it that way. So I just got to thinking about that. I was like, well, what is what has been the track of of prices of homes? And I started thinking, well, you know what else matters are just other kinds of commodity uh, goods and and things like that. So let's think about it. So again, homes in America, nineteen forty thirty nine hundred, nineteen sixty had already ballooned to twelve thousand seven hundred. 12,700 average price of a card ballooned to 2600 loaf of bread 20 cents was eight now 20 cents more than double uh, a gallon of milk had gone from 11 cents nope excuse me uh, oh gallon of milk was 50 cents that's interesting gallon of milk stayed 50 cents in 1960 interesting uh, gallon of gas got up to 31 cents dozen eggs 57 cents okay now fast forward to 1980 ready price of a home 68,700 average car 7200 gallon of milk a dollar 60 gallon of gas a buck and a quarter dozen eggs cost just under a buck all right that's that's 1980 a lot of us can remember 1980 i wasn't working in 1980 i was a bit of a slacker a lot of people did go to work at 8 years old i did not didn't go to work until i was 15 so 8 years old i was just taking it easy 2000, oh, 1980, 6,800, 68,000 for a home. Okay, 2,000, average price of a home, $119,600. $119,600 in 2000. The reason you heard me pause there for just a moment is Tiffany just called me twice. I'm like, hmm, she knows I'm on the radio. Could this be an emergency? I hope not. She's probably just looking for Reagan, who is here in the studio with me, our little Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, but I digress. If, if she calls back a third time, I'm going to answer it live on the air. That's the risk she's going to take for not listening. All right, 1980 was 68000 for a home by 2119000 Now, it's about the time I started selling real estate, and I will tell you, there were plenty of homes on the market in the 189000 120, 150. Those are things of the past. Uh, average price of a car by 2000 was 22000 A uh, loaf of bread had crept all the way up to about twenty six. What is a loaf of bread now? Isn't it like four bucks for Dave's Killer Bread or six bucks? I don't know. Wow. Uh, a gallon of milk had already crept up to $3.23. Gasoline, though, in 2000 was still, I mean, almost seems free at a buck fifty a gallon, right? A buck fifty a gallon. Eggs were $1.20. Average price of a home by 2020. 
331,000. Cars cost about 40 grand average. Gallon of milk, 350. Gallon of gas, 218. Of course, this was pre-Biden. Just remember that. Pre-Biden gasoline was $2.18. What does it cost you today? Minimum what? 350, 380, four bucks. A uh, dozen eggs, $1.47 in 2020. Wow. Again, that was pre-COVID. What are, didn't eggs get up to 12 bucks a dozen or something like that during COVID? Just absolutely cray-cray. So think about that. From 1940, $3,900 for a home. 2020, average 330. Now I would tell you it's going to be closer to 430,000 in just three years from that statistic. Just three years, 100K leap. And in so, it's unsustainable. That is unsustainable. And the Fed had no choice but to raise interest rates to calm the growth in these costs, which though, along with printing trillions of dollars, uh, is creating an inflationary period like I've never seen in my professional lifetime. I don't know about you, but again, I just have a PhDED in lifestyle economics. Follow the leadership all the way to the top. With your Millionaire Minute, I'm Chris Story. You can manage your way to the middle, no problem. But the only way to the top is by leadership. As you acquire skills and build a portfolio of investments, remember, you're a leader. Maybe a leader of one or two people to start, but before you know it, you'll be leading an entire team. Manage your business, lead your people. Manage your stress, lead people, and inspire them to live their best life. Manage your way to the middle, but lead your way all the way to the top. From ilovehomeralaska.com, I'm Chris Story. Millionaire Minute is brought to you by Ulmer's Drug and Hardware, your home for health, hardware, and everything else, helping you live your best life since 1977. From our family to yours, Ulmer's Drug and Hardware. Well, I was correct. <laughs> Tiffany was looking for Reagan. She's taking him up to the hospital. No, no, don't worry. Reagan's just fine. It's She is going to be training him to become a little therapy dog in the hospital. So she's meeting a friend, and uh, she needs to collect Reagan. And um, she would she just feels terrible that she had interrupted the broadcast. But, you know, you saw how I handled that. You know, a lot of people would have been completely thrown. Not me. I handled it like a champ like a pro. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people said it was fantastic. It was a wonderful way I handled it. A lot of people are saying that. Robert Kiyosaki said, the single most powerful asset we have is our mind. If it is well-trained, it can create enormous wealth in what seems to be an instant. And what I love about that, that statement is that I, I so agree with it, that most of the good things that will come to you in life come when you make a decision. Even if it takes five years, 10 years to achieve or see the results, it's that instant you make the decision and you form a vision in your mind for something it is you want, something you want to do, who do you want to become, what do you want to have, a relationship you want to have or foster, a new skill or talent. The minute you make up your mind, it's already yours and you can become in that instant what it is you're looking to become. That's why we talk about here on The Backyard Millionaire when Oscar, the character from my book, tells the protagonist, really, the, the mentee of the book, his name is August, he tells him the instant he declares that he understands that it's going to become and has made a decision to become an investor, he's become a backyard millionaire in that instant. In fact, that's a great book. Who, who wrote it? Um, it's called Instant Millionaire. 
And I think, if I'm not mistaken, John, not John Can, uh, Jack Canfield, but his partner, uh, Mark Victor Hansen. Mark Victor Hansen, I think. Victor David Hansen. No, that's the economist. Um, anyway, long story short, it's a great little book. I don't know if you can find it anywhere available right now, but it's a terrific read called The Instant Millionaire. And it just is a little story, a little parable that wraps around this idea that when you make a decision, you instantly have changed and you can create enormous wealth in that instant, even before you have it. I'm Chris Story, along with Mr. David Webb. We'll be talking about Ben Franklin and secrets from the Backyard Millionaire when we return right here. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Christopher Story, your host for great adventures in real estate right here in your own backyard where wealth and the wondrous things of life that you really want are waiting for you. I love the idea of not having to travel abroad to find wealth or fame or fortune, that it's there in your own, within your own reach. In my new Jacob Mann book that I'm currently writing, it, it was going to be a fairly short story, and then something occurred to me, and I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not going to say much more than this than, than this phrase. I kind of woke up from a, a bit of a daydream. I, I don't really know if it was a nap as much as it was just a bit of a daydream, and the words, seventh step from the top, came to me, and I, I don't know where, I don't know how, but I just realized, wait a minute, that story, Jacob has to come out of that cabin in the woods and go on another adventure in this same story. I can't let him stop. He needs to find out what's underneath the seventh step from the top. And anyway, it's more to come on that, but it's just this notion, this idea that what you want is here. Yes, you can travel. Yes, you can go around the world. You can travel the globe. You can do anything you want. I just read a book about quests written by Chris Gillibo. He, he traveled 193 countries. It took him 10 years to hit 193 countries, including believe it or not, North Korea, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, I mean, all the countries. And so this quest consumed his life. Now, his quest required he travel the globe, required that he go outside of his comfort zone every single year and to make as many treks as possible and under some pretty straightened conditions sometimes, sometimes palatial by accident, if not planned, and otherwise uh, many, many, many nights in airports and missed connections and horrible bus trips across third world countries and so forth. Just a lot of illness and you know malaria, all the stuff that you can imagine going to 193 countries. But that was his quest. It was a worldwide quest. It was to dominate the travel world. And he really wasn't trying to compete with anybody. He was just doing his own quest. But your quest could be as close as your own backyard. Robert Kiyosaki also said the rich focus on their asset columns while everybody else focuses on their income statements. That's a powerful statement. That is a powerful thing to think about. Asset columns versus income statements. Your income is taxed now. Your assets might be taxed later, but there's ways to defer those tax consequences for much later in life or after life and let your heirs deal with those taxes. And meanwhile, you've enjoyed those assets growing through the years and, and leave a legacy if you choose. But an asset is going to be something that appreciates over time, will spin off cash, cash flow to you passively. Now, there's always effort involved. That's the whole point of leverage multiplied by effort equals gold. There's always going to be effort. Never 
will you tune into this program and hear us talking about getting rich quick or, you know, make money while you sleep other than you will, you can, but it's not so easy. We never pretend that it is effortless. There is effort involved, but growing your asset column is the real game. That is the game. That is the game of the rich, as Robert Kiyosaki says it. He also said, don't let fear of losing be greater than the excitement of winning. Do not let the fear of losing be greater than the excitement of winning. We just did a millionaire minute on that. Um, what was it? It was the one about, would you work harder to earn a th- uh, to earn $1,000 or not lose 100 That's what it was. Like, which would you work harder for? Like, earning the extra 1000 or not losing this 100 that you currently have in your hand? And I'm afraid that many of us work harder to not lose this thing we've got a hold of versus letting go and reaching forward for the, the greater asset or the greater good in your life. Robert Kiyosaki said a lot of great things. I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, actually it was on Monday, about uh, their son. He's in college and he's running his own little side hustle. He's running his own little business. A couple of buddies have put together a little window washing business and he has just read and reread, back, uh, well, he read Backyard Millionaire and I'm told loved it. You're welcome. Uh, but he also loves Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he asked his mom, he's like, have you read it? And she says, yes. He goes, maybe you really read it, mom. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But he has started a little window washing business. And he told his mom he loves being rejected. He lo- Well, he doesn't love being rejected, but he, he loves that he's getting used to that. And he's facing rejection. They'll knock on doors, knock on people's doors and say, you know, would you like your windows cleaned? We offer this service. And some people are just screaming at him to get out of here. Other people, of course, are taking him up on it and, and love to support these young men that are uh, trying to support themselves and creating this little side hustle. So that is fantastic. And what he's gaining is the I- sales. If you can sell you can survive anything. Have a little faith, I say. Have a little faith, my friend. We got to help each other through thick and thin. These are trying times that we're living in. Have a little faith, I say. Have a little faith, my friend. We got trouble. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. You can find me online at ilovehomeralaska.com. All of our products and podcasts, and you can start your property search anywhere in Alaska right there at ilovehomeralaska.com. It's a good time of the year to think about where you've been so far. Look in the rearview mirror for this year and reflect on what you've done. You know, Maybe set your your goals list aside that you had at the beginning of the year. Maybe set it aside for just a minute and just reflect on what you actually did. Like in my writing effort, I'll just use that as an example. I had on my goals list this year to have completed two books. 
Well, I've, I've completed The Watchmen, my, my novel, my Jacob Mann, Mann novel, and it's published and it's out there in the world. Audio, ebook, paperback. Always pushing that. And that's wonderful. I should be, I should be thrilled, right? But on the other hand, I feel like, man, I, I wanted to do two. And I'm not there yet. I'm still working on the second Jacob Mann book, Jacob Mann's Search for Meaning. I'm still working on that. And I've got then with a guide, the Backyard Millionaire Maker that I'm still in process of editing. And so I could beat myself up about that. And then I could just kind of go, no, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to review on what I actually achieved. In addition to the property we invested in, in addition to all of the amazing clients that myself and this incredible team at Story Real Estate has been able to serve this year. And just, I'm so proud of that. And, and my daughters and my grandkids and my parents, my brother and sister-in-law moved back to home. It's some amazing things that have happened this year. But if you reflect on what ha actually happened for a minute without going over your goals list, I like that. I think it's a great way to start this process of reviewing the year from the rear view mirror of mid-November. Maybe you didn't achieve everything you wanted, but man, I'll bet you grew more in, in ways that you're maybe not giving yourself credit for. I know that's true of me. Like I, like I said, I, I published a novel this year. Why shouldn't I be happy about that? Well, because I wanted to do two more. So what? Still working on it in process. Year ain't over. So think about what you did. Reflect on the achievements and the things that you're proud of that have defined you this year. Then another way to look at your year in review in the rearview mirror is to assess what you learned. Okay, so there's things you accomplished, things you did and contributed, and that's wonderful. That's a great list. Make that list. And in fact, I put it in writing. It helps me. That's what I do. I love to put it in writing because it just absolutely uh, is just more astonishing than you could imagine. If you take your own inventory, I, I think you'll impress yourself. So do that. And then think about the challenges you overcame. That might not even appear to be accomplishment, but it is. Think about the challenges you overcame and what you learned. Maybe there's something you did or didn't do, something you wanted to do, but you, um, you kind of went a different way, changed course or whatever. What did you learn this year? Take a real candid look at what you've learned this year. I heard yesterday somebody quoted Ben Franklin, and they said that um, the average person dies at 25, but isn't buried till 75. <laughs> it's like, you know, they get just dead. No, that's not you. I know that's not you. So you're learning constantly. Take stock of it. Write it down. Look at stuff you've you've navigated. Maybe you've navigated some obstacles that... Wow, didn't see that coming. Made our way through it. And then, then, and only then, look at your unfinished goals. So that means that's going to require, go back to your original goals list for the year and look at what didn't happen, honestly. Look at what didn't happen in a very honest way, such that you're not beating yourself up and berating yourself, but you're just frank with yourself. You just say, you know what? Okay. And then what I'd recommend is to figure out why. You know, we talk about starting with why. Simon Sinek made a whole career out of that, starting with why, know your why. Nietzsche said, with a strong enough why, you can find any how. So 
why didn't you do something that you said you wanted to do? And, and I warn people all the time, be careful about what it is you say you want because the disparity in your mind of actually not accomplishing it will create a chasm with which the sun will not shine. Ooh, that was good. Somebody should have written that down. That's, that's good. Play that back to me later. It's that disparity. The, the Most disappointment lives in the valley between expectation and reality. So if you expected to do something this year, didn't, didn't accomplish it, now is the time to ask yourself why. And when you do, you might find the answer is maybe you really didn't want it to begin with. Maybe you didn't have a strong enough why. Or you could simply take an eraser and change the date. Your goals list, you can change the date. Just extend it out six months or a year. Give yourself a break, but be honest. Be honest about what you didn't accomplish, you said you wanted to, find out why. That's a conversation worth having with you. I'm Chris Story and this is the Backyard Millionaire, the radio show about how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. We'll be back with secrets from the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. Ben Franklin said, tell me and I forget, teach me and I may remember, involve me and I will learn. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. As I told you earlier, I'm rewriting, just editing, polishing and beefing up what we've called The Millionaire Maker, six practical steps, your first four homes. It's don't, don't, don't ask for it. It's too late. The free versions are over. I mean, I distributed over 200 of these uh, in PDF form over the last two, two and a half years or so. And it's been invaluable for me because I've been able to take the feedback from these guides that we've been giving away. And I'm adding and tweaking and doing a little bit of modification. I'm going to put this out as an audio book. I'm going to read it myself uh, in the studio and put that out as an audio book by me. It's a nonfiction. My fiction work, I continue to work with the pro Michael Dukes on those narrations, but this book I'm going to read myself, um, because it's just, it's from me, you know, it's just, it's a very personal nonfiction. It's got stories in it, but it's not fictionalized. This is just practical steps. And I want people to hear it from me because I literally say in the very beginning, if I can do this, you can do it. And I know that's true. So I've got a new chapter in it called More Valuable Than Gold. And I just want to share this briefly with you. It's just a couple of pages. More Valuable Than Gold. It was a normal Wednesday morning at the pottery shop. Wet clay had, that's Reagan coughing in the background there. <laughs> Wet clay had taken shape in bowls, into bowls, plates, and trivets. Still other pots were cooling in the kiln after having been glazed, fired to over 2,000 degrees. There were no customers on hand when my dad walked in. He looked around, seeing no one, he said, Hey, come with me. I want to show you something. Incredulous, I responded, But Dad, I'm open. My store is open. I can't just leave. Once again, he surveyed the empty store, smiled, and said, Come on, we won't be long. I grabbed my jacket and threw up the We'll Be Back sign on the door, locked up and jumped into his still idling suburban parked in front of the door. Where are we going? I asked Dad. To the future, he said. Okay, he didn't actually say that, but wouldn't it have been amazing if he had? 
What he actually said was nothing. He drove out onto the main road, crossed the highway towards the beach, slowed down, and turned into a short driveway stub of a vacant lot. Then he said, you should buy this lot, and then let's build you a building of your own. My heart went into panic mode, practically beating out of my chest. The idea of buying land and then constructing a commercial building was so far outside my comfort zone, I simply couldn't entertain the thought. He might as well have suggested that I flap my arms and fly to the treetops. You know, I made all manner of excuses, and none of which, thankfully, my dad would accept. He, he didn't argue. He simply said, I will help you. You can do this. Now, he didn't mean he'd help me financially. He meant he would help me logistically. Rather than loan me money, he would loan me know-how. Rather than loan me money, he would loan me me belief in myself. Last but not least, my dad also loaned me his relationships. By standing with Tiffany and I, as we made our first investment, he was telling the realtor, the bank, and the title company, we were a solid risk. His credibility rubbed off on us. While not born with a silver spoon in my mouth, I'm the first to admit, and I will tell you, that my dad, what he lent us was invaluable, and perhaps more valuable than a deep pocket, more valuable than gold. Throughout this simple guide to wealth, you'll learn how to set yourself up for a lifetime of riches. You'll be able to borrow my belief in you and leverage my relationships I've spent 30 years building for your own benefit. Some of the concepts in this guide might sound strange to you at first. Please set aside your disbelief. Act as if you're at a movie. Let the images, ideas, and practices come to life in your mind. Soon enough, you'll be starring, as you can see, I'll need to practice this a little bit. Besides of which, you don't understand. I mean, you know, when you listen to something, it's been edited, all right? This is unedited, live, and raw. I go back. You have what it takes to succeed in real estate. How do I know? You're still reading. You have a passion and thirst for knowledge. You are destined to attain what you want, control your destiny, and leave a lasting legacy. This is the exact right time, and you are in the perfect place. Let's get started. I'm excited about this for a couple different reasons. One, I get to tell stories like that. And I'll never forget, the, when we first started this radio program, uh, it, was, it was mentioned to a couple of people I know that, oh, uh, so-and-so is probably paying for that for him or this or that. And it's like we have these assumptions and assertions about other people looking from the outside in. And I mean it. What My dad could have lent us the money to build that project, could have bought the lot for us, handed it to us. He didn't. And I'm ever grateful. I'm ever grateful that he looked at Tiffany and I and said, you can do this. Stop paying rent when you can start investing in yourselves. And we never looked back. Now, what's funny is that later in this guide, I do tell the story about how we sold that first building and how we lost in the process. We earned a fortune and lost an even bigger fortune only to learn how to make an even still bigger fortune by having gone through that. So there is no holds barred here in this guide. I tell you the good, the bad, the ugly, but six practical steps to your first four homes. So I will keep you posted as I go on this. Um, and I, I'm somewhat sharing it here kind of because even as I'm reading that, I'm, 
I'm saying, okay, I'm going to tweak this a little bit. I'm going to add a couple of things to the more valuable than gold chapter because I'm going to flesh that out a little bit more. But I want to share it for that reason. Number one, that it, it helps me to think out loud with you. I feel like whenever I come here and talk to you that I, I'm growing in that process. And by sharing this work as I go, I think I'll, I'll, it'll help me. And I hope, I can only hope for even just an instant that it helps you somehow. And then secondly, it's a little bit like putting myself on the spot and holding myself accountable. Because if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. it it's funny. Um, discipline works that way for me, at least maybe, maybe you can relate to that. If I tell you I'm doing this and I hold myself publicly accountable, I am more apt to follow through. It's like when I, uh, went through that whole vegan process, I remember one time, um, Dave Becker, the, uh, the genius that put all this, these stations together and is the, the owner and, and, uh, my, one of my greatest radio mentors, um, said to me at one point, as I was going on again about my veganism, okay, we get it. You're a vegan. You don't eat meat. Get on with something else. And I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I beat that horse one too many times. But the reason I do things like this is that I it's easier for me to hold myself accountable when I'm doing it in public. So unlike the guy who uh, needs to get out his manual typewriter in the middle of a coffee shop and write in public. <laughs> it's not me, but I need to hold myself to this. It's sort of almost like I counting you as an accountability partner. So thank you for that. I do appreciate it. But anyway, more to come on that. I'm, I'm excited about it, as you can tell, probably. Almost as excited as the Christmas gift that I had made for Tiffany. I'm never ahead of the game, literally, for most of our 34, 35 years being together, uh, Tiffany can tell you, I usually, I'm, I, I kind of know what I want to get her, this and that, but I really don't shop until Christmas Eve. This year, I went and orchestrated something that I, I can't believe that, that I did it. I just, it's, it's so not me is what I'm telling you. So it almost sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm really not. I'm literally saying, I am shocked at myself that I've done this so good. As I was telling Zoe earlier, I showed Zoe, and I'm like, I feel like I've won up this year. Like I'm, I'm probably going to be the champion gift giver between Tiffany and I. And I said, isn't that really what gift giving is all about is to win? You know what adds two kinds of value to real estate? Pavement. That's what. Your property grows in value and you get use value. So why wait to sell? Add two kinds of value right now. Dutch Boy paved my driveway. And to be honest, we can't believe we ever lived without it. That's use value. When we go to sell, because one day we will, the market's going to pay us back for the pavement. Call Dutch Boy for your free estimate today and get two kinds of value tomorrow. Dutch Boy Landscaping, your paving pro at 235-7140. No more rolling stones. Let Dutch Boy paint it black at 235-7140. The negotiation section in the the Millionaire Maker, by the way, is gold. I was just looking at it while we were listening to that genius spot I did. Uh, yeah, this is just it's, it's gold. Uh, this whole thing. It's going to be so exciting to have it actually in a paperback. Um, and that's what I'm hoping, hoping to get uh, out into the world is the paperback. I just, you know, 
I know we live in a digital age, and in this very broadcast you're listening to right now, it's going to become a podcast, or maybe that's how you're, you're Azerbaijan, you're listening to it. I mean, that's the one of the coolest things about the digital age is when I go look at the podcast where people have downloaded literally in 34 countries every state in the union except for north dakota that says something uh we've been downloaded in and, and have regular listeners and that's exciting to me but nothing is more exciting to me than actually physically holding books i just got two books in the mail earlier to, I, I love the physical thing and having this in the world and i i take notes in the margins of my books and uh, to me that's what i anticipate with this guide the millionaire maker being something physically that you can write in dog ear, give away, get five or 10 and give them away to people you care about. So that's why I want to put them into the world that way. Uh, for example, let's see, I want to share a couple more quotes from Ben Franklin. I just pulled these, some of my favorites. Oh, early to bad, early to rise makes a healthy man, healthy and wise, wealthy and wise. I like that. Uh, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Maybe let's leave it at that. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Of all the assets that I own, I have to say I and Tiffany, Tiffany and I own, I have to say my library is probably, well, it's a little bit like Henry Ford said, and I'm not comparing myself to Henry Ford, but I, I love this quote. He was asked, Mr. Ford, you know, you've built this, this factory, you've revolutionized the automobile industry. What if everything was taken away from you tomorrow? He said, I would earn it back plus in two years because of what I now know. Think about that. Also, it's been said that if all the money in the world was taken away from everybody and redistributed equally to everybody, so you take from the top 1% and you share it equally amongst the 99% below, the money would be in the exact same proportions, in the exact same hands and pockets as it started out. And in fact, maybe those with a poverty mindset might have even a little bit less. So truly, what you know will determine how far you go. Thank you for being here. What a privilege and a pleasure. I want to thank Mr. David Webb for engineering the broadcast all the way back up to the mothership of KPEN and KGTL, reminding you that our website is available for you. And please reach out to me there. We have a contact Chris button there. Contact me anytime, day or night. Send me an email. I want to talk to you. I believe in you and I'm grateful for you. I'll just remind you of this. You really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. We'll see you next week.